1: Welcome to the Open Era Podcast. My name is Devang Desai and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Simon Bushel Bush in the hubbub of last week with Novak Djokovic's saga in Australia. I basically forgot to do a proper intro for last week's show. Major apologies. How are you, sir? How's it going in Vancouver? Oh, it's going well,
2: thank you. We had more important things to discuss last week, didn't we? (laughs) Only a small matter of the world number one being deported.
1: Literally seconds in though There was no small talk There was no um How's your family doing It was just straight into it It felt quite curt When I listened back to it So To humanize us where You can see our faces If you're watching this And now We're trying to Move past What was probably the The wildest story That we've covered In tennis At least In a long time If not ever Simon But I guess this is where We started on our Australian Open preview episode Right? Like this is Closing the chapter on something quite ridiculous and now looking forward to the actual tennis and the stuff we care about.
2: Well, it's been an interesting discussion this week about where this ranks in terms of all time strange stories in tennis, hasn't it? Because I think a lot of people were trying to put this at the top of the list. And I'm not sure I buy that given that a previous world number one on the women's side was stabbed on court. I think that probably (laughs) tops just about everything that's happened in this sport. Hard to pass Monica
1: Seles at Hamburg, for sure, in terms of shock factor. And and a lot of this was telegraphed. It was a slow build, I would say. And I think I'm still of the viewpoint that if Novak did not tweet or Instagram uh, his intentions to come to Australia with that exemption, this probably doesn't happen. And yet here we are. I mean, there's a lot to get to you, Simon. If you haven't heard, obviously, Novak Djokovic is not playing in the Australian Open. That is underway as you listen to this. It's a massive shock. I think I'm still a bit stunned, Simon, to be honest. Um, Even though it actually happened, I part of me just didn't believe that this would go through. And I think there's a lot to get to. And there's a lot about the heavy handedness of the state, in this case, Australia, and the powers that certain people have in that country to remove people is a bit jarring to me, I will be honest here. But I think we have to begin with Novak Djokovic, right? Like, this is it. His legacy is... It's definitely up for debate now, more intensely than ever before. Uh, where do you want to take this?
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting one to again try and address what this story, what has happened with this story during the course of the week. Because the last time we spoke to you, we tried to do a, a recap of what we had learnt since the last time that we spoke to you. Last time we spoke to you you,ception there for a second, but let's try and block this out again of what happened throughout the week. And I wanted to particularly focus on the reaction that we saw from different parties across the sport and outside, in the wider sporting world and outside of it. Because this was a story that broke through in that those famous words of whether or not tennis breaks through the wider context and the wider consciousness of the world. It definitely did. This was a story that made it into the public consciousness. So, as you mentioned, Novak Djokovic has been deported. He had his visa cancelled by the Australian state. And he put out a statement this morning. So let's go from a reaction standpoint. The man himself saying, I will take some time to rest and recuperate before making any further comments beyond this. I'm extremely disappointed with the ruling to dismiss my application for judicial review of the decision to cancel my visa, which means I cannot stay in Australia and participate in the Australian Open. There was a lot of things that Novak Djokovic did during the course of the week. This was a statement at the end of it, which I think actually, from what I read across the board, everyone seemed to accept and felt that he was relatively magnanimous in how he took this. It was a hell of a lot different than the statement that came out during the course of the week, was it not? Where, on posing on Instagram, he tried to address some of the accusations of, quote, misinformation, which actually didn't turn out to be misinformation just turned out to be him confirming everything that everyone had previously reported up to that point yeah I, I think
1: the the misinformation instagram post another possible unforced error from novak amongst many in this in this pr battle that it became and i think when you look at the case that the the immigration minister presented and and the lawyers on behalf of the australian government presented at that final appeals process Basically, they went with the line that Novak is uh, a danger to the state itself, which I think when you zoom out a bit is insane a bit and wild. But if you also zoom out even a bit further and look at our current landscape and where we are and where the conversation is going, it was pretty smart, I think, of the Australian government to play that card because they used a lot of what Novak has said in the past against him and stuff includes... And it's not limited to Instagram posts like this where he's kind of shooting himself in the foot. And I think part of the process, which I found kind of unnerving as well, is like they were using uh, like openly available articles and quotes in those articles. But sometimes I don't know if the context is fully there, but it was almost as if all of the the things that we kind of chided Novak about in the past actually did come back to haunt him. Finally. We wondered if that was going to be a thing, and they did. I'm not sure how I feel about it, though, to be honest, because it does feel a bit grimy.
2: Well, I think also we have to remember that this wasn't a direct court hearing on whether or not to cancel the the visa, like the mechanics of it. It was more to do with a uh, the legal parameters about whether or not the state had the right to enforce the law, which they did, which that's all three judges came back and said, yeah, I mean, like, just do just do what you're doing. Like, we, we can't stop you from doing it. That's, that's how the law works in Australia. So I think that side of things, it wasn't a debate about the rights and wrongs of deporting an individual, especially Novak Djokovic in this case, because I think that's a different kettle of fish and that is a different story in its entirety. And as Ben Rothenberg keeps tweeting over and over and over again, this all could have been avoided had he just been vaccinated.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the immediate fallout is that he's put... Number 21, Slam 21 and Tennis Immortality on hold for a while due to his own actions. And thanks to some co-conspirators in Tennis Australia and Craig Tiley specifically. I do think it is interesting, Bush, like the reaction amongst the players, especially because I think Nadal, Rafa Nadal's reaction, I think, was the most telling. Perhaps he was the most forceful as well which I wasn't expecting. I think we saw Stefano Sissi Pass kind of be like, well, I had to get the vaccine. So Novak should get it too kind of thing, which I thought was some boyish enthusiasm, which I found a bit uh, a bit enlightening as well because there really was no mask on. He was just basically being like, I got the vaccine because I thought I needed it to compete. And I think it put, kind of boils down to that. 97% of the two are on the ATP at least, got this vaccine to play. That those who didn't are not there, including Tennis Sangren. And I think that's what Rafa's, Rafa's main gist of his comments, along with Andy Murray, were about.
2: Yeah, multiple players asked a couple of times during the course of the week, right? Rafa didn't have just one statement, but he had a couple of them throughout the week since we last spoke to you. But I think the one that stood out for a lot of people is him quoted saying, I tell you one thing, it's very clear that Novak Djokovic is one of the best players in history, without a doubt. But there is no one player in history that's more important than event because the player stays and then goes. The other new players are coming. No one. Roger Novak and myself, Bjorn Borg. He was amazing in his times, but tennis keeps going. The Australian Open is much more important than any player. If he's playing, finally, that's okay. If he's not playing the Australian, it will be great for the Australian Open with or without him. That's just my point of view. Which I think actually summarized how a lot of people felt, which is that by the end of the week, we were just sick of it as a tennis community. And this felt like a story that we just wanted to go away. And you mentioned Novak shooting himself in the foot. I think that's really where we, a lot of people boil down, not just in Australia, but in the wider tennis community, which is that this dude got special treatment over and over and over again. And we were all a bit sick of it. Truly. I mean, it wasn't all detractors,
1: though. He had his supporters, a lot of whom I found curiously spoke out a lot louder, Simon, after he was deported, finally. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. Mm, like, Tennis sangrin for all of his faults, which there are thousands, I think when he said basically, a lot of talk now, but I wish I was there, I would have pulled out myself. Um, these so-called supporters on the tour are pretty silent when it matters. Not a direct quote, but kind of the gist of things. He's a bit right, Simon. Like I saw John Isner and Riley Opelka and Elise Cornet and and Vashik Pospisil, Pospisil completely misrepresenting uh, what was happening as well. Those people speaking out—it's an interesting crew of supporters. I don't—I don't
2: know what to make of them. It's an interesting crew of supporters which headed up the PTPA, right? Which were, in effect, yeah. the the ringleaders or the head of the table when it came to these decisions over the past two years, which is interesting to note in its dynamics. On that level. But I think what we saw during the course of the week was an attempt to really offer a sense of balance in this story between what the Australian people and the public were saying, and I think what the larger mood of the sport was in its entirety. And I saw. A lot of the the state press doing a reasonable job in trying to find some level of balance here of saying that, you know, there are people that support Novak, there are people in the sport, there are people in, in the public. But if you do some digging and sort of look any deeper than surface level, this is not the case. This was not a person that was supported inside of Australia at all. Any polling would suggest very widely that he was viewed very negatively and not wanting him to stay in the country. And I think that's true as well from some of the comments that we saw inside of the sport. Even Alexander Zverev coming out and saying that he didn't think that his best friend in a lot of ways, Novak Djokovic, should have, should have been there, just given the way that it had plotted out during the course of the week. So that balance was attempted to find, but I actually think it was a little bit um, favorable to Novak in a lot of ways because this isn't how the most, most people felt. And, like, it's very nice that he signed a ball for Riley Opelka when he
1: was a youth in Cincinnati. Like, I, I don't doubt that Novak is a nice person in that regard, but this is not the issue. This does not matter right now. Um, good intentions. As Det Flanders once said, you can't pave your way on that and expect to get by when eventually someone calls you out for something. Um wasn't all about Martin Fucovich. Bush, I thought, was amazing with his comment. His quote: "Quote, people's health is paramount. There are rules that were outlined months ago, namely that everyone should vaccinate themselves. And Djokovic didn't. From this point of view, I don't think he had he would have the right to be here. I'm like, this is it. Um, and I I was impressed by some of the the players actually going a bit more in, in, in depth about this. Bush, you know, like not." having a quote cribbed on Twitter and, and being able to read some transcripts and kind of see what's going on. And I I could detect, and you could see, a hell of a lot of frustration because no one is talking about the actual tennis at the Australian Open. And don't get me wrong, this is the number one player in the world and the best men's player in the world, but we got other things to do. And at a certain point, I think why I am just as mad at Tennis Australia and co as I am at Novak is because this tournament will have this kind of taint over it. And it's through no fault of the other athletes.
2: Yeah, and Jao Souza adding to that as well, basically saying, I respect that he fights for what he believes and can be empathetic for what he's going through in Australia, but it's a bit selfish of him to arrive here as the only player unvaccinated. It's tough for us players to accept that. And I think we hinted at this last week when we saw the likes of uh, Jamie Murray speaking up when we saw some other people as well who sort of had that wink in the eye, right? Like that, that sort of twinkle in the eye when they were talking, basically saying, like, we all know why this person is getting preferential treatment. It sucks, but that's kind of the reality of it. Life is unfair. There is levels of equality that exists. Some animals are more equal than others. Some Djokovic's are, some world number ones are more equal than others, as they say. Some tennis players um, one of the things that I guess I'd add to this as well is that there are consequences to your actions. And I think we've been so immunized, strange choice of words, but I'll stick with it. We have like been it. so immunized- well against the idea that people in positions of power get held accountable for their actions. It hasn't happened a huge amount of times. certainly not in the last 20 years, probably in our lifetime, Dev. How many times can we say we've seen either a political figure or someone who holds a position of authority do some misdeeds and being held fully accountable for their actions? This is one time where it actually has happened in our lives. It's maybe not how we wanted it to happen at pitchfork level, but I think the right thing was done here, despite all of the nonsense that went with it. And I agree. I think I, for all of my
1: misgivings and all of the my issues I have with how this was done and 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 in some cases, the way Novak himself was treated, I think in the end, this was the proper decision. They eventually got to it through a very roundabout, ham-fisted way. And you had Scott Morrison, et al. And, and political jackals scoring points, which I think is a, is a scourge across multiple borders. It's not just an Australia thing. But I, I got Bush... To go back to your point of people not being held accountable, I got some pretty heavy Trump vibes from the Djokovic family during this as well, where this is kind of us against the world idea uh, and how how well it can fester and how successful it can be. Because I think what I've, I noticed, at least on Sunday, was pretty strong backlash of Novak supporters, trolls. Uh, the australian version of rebel media which i didn't know existed which is absolutely sickening and shocking but somehow they're out there people with that platform basically using novak now as as a rallying point to their cause and it's a shame that we kind of see the same thing happen over and over again and i think that's why as well i was still so stunned that it actually happened because it was becoming one of those stories which eventually ends poorly for everyone and I think, even though he did get deported, and I support that decision, I still think that this ended poorly for everyone. Really badly. It's an incredibly bad moment for the sport.
2: Just think about those words for a second. Like us as tennis fans, the world number one has been deported. Deported, <laughs> Simon. He was <laughs> deported. They deported
1: Novak Djokovic from Australia. What the tournament that he's won nine times? Like, what is happening here? He might not go back. He might never go back. Like I, I read a lot of good stuff, Bush, uh, this week. The Howard Bryant piece in, the, in ESPN I thought was f- phenomenal, and I think also gave a clearer picture. I think as an outsider to what it looks like, I think to be a Novak fan or be a Serbian Djokovic fan, and kind of what was going through their minds. Because I think that's something that we're very interested in, in as well, Simon, and in, in a in a goal to. To understand more people rather than shut things down and kind of open some pathways I'm here for that conversation because I understand there's a lot that goes into it and it's not all about tennis but I read uh, Matt's piece in the racket um, we're big fans of his but basically the idea that there were no winners here and though I think we did get some sort of justice in the end and Novak did leave and he's no longer there it all feels a bit messed up and the fact that Craig Tiley is still there and seemingly will be I I assume that he will resign at the end of this tournament but what did he do I think along with a string of shocks Craig Tiley one of the most famous powerful people in this sport in, in a sport full of power brokers he's one of the most powerful he pissed it away he absolutely pissed it away and it was hubris that's all it was it was I can get away with this we can get him in we can sneak him in forget about it and clearly they couldn't the ramifications for this will be felt for such a long time that I, it's hard to wrap your head around.
2: I was thinking this morning, like what are the ramifications for the PCPA itself in terms of the, the leadership of it and its existence as an entity within the sport? Because it sure looks like at the front end of this, it's much more about the power dynamics of who gets to enforce the rules when it comes to things like vaccination and much less to do with the idea of equality of pay for those in the lower ranks of the sport. And that may be... Unkind, and that may be an inaccurate statement for those of the, who are leading this. But you can only go on what the actions are at the moment, and you can only go on what's been put out there in terms of quotations and, and what we've seen so far. Because it sure as hell looks like that. This looks more like a power grab than it does actual actually looking out for the players' well being and their best interests. And I really hope I'm wrong about that. Me too. Me too. I mean, I I, I would
1: hope the ramifications are that people stop stop messing around with this kind of stuff. I I, I truly wonder what's going to happen for the rest of the season for Novak especially. Like, will he just call it till clay? Will he go and play in Europe? Can he travel anywhere? Like, will he be able to get into other ter- tournaments? I don't think so. It's absolutely crazy that we're at this point right
2: now. Um, but we are. Can we just wrap up this Segment by saying that there are parallels to other stories that have happened throughout tennis, and this was pointed, I think, by a particularly viral tweet by Francis Maxwell during the course of the week, basically saying that if Naomi Osaka or Serena Williams acted in the way that Novak Djokovic has acted, the there would be a huge sharpening of knives. They hung Osaka out to dry because she missed a couple of presses. Meanwhile, on Djokovic, it's absolute crickets. I think it's impossible when you see these things presented in front of you, the speed, the solidity, and the force that those four Grand Slams unified to try and crush someone like Naomi Osaka, and the absolute, complete, and utter lack of spine that came when uh, there could have been a strong pushback against a story like this. It's very telling. It's very, very telling, Dev. This, this as the kids say, push is a mask off moment
1: for a lot of people. We learned a lot about what matters to people, what their intentions are, what they consider important, whether it be the ATP, whether it be the PTPA, whether it be Vashik Pospisil liking a tweet that's calling out Rafa Nadal for selling out a fellow player. I'm like, this is the head of the union that represents everyone? What's happening? What are we doing, guys?
2: It's upsetting. It is. And I think it goes back to that conversation about what is considered to be balanced, right? What is considered to be balanced in terms of two sides of an argument is that I think… There are people inside of the union or the fledgling, burgeoning, you know, whatever you want to call it, initial stages of the union who would say that it is my right to not be vaccinated. And then you look at the top 100 and you see three players. So those three players are not a representation of the of the player body. You, you can't say that, like, you know, it's my right to not be vaccinated and therefore everyone else should go along with it. That's not how democracy works and that's not how unions work. Like you get a vote you you get a voice, right? You get one voice. You, your voice is not any bigger than anyone else's. And I think a lot of people who are involved in this really did not figure that out. They did not. We'll
1: leave it there. I'm sure this story will not go away in the future and it will be around us as this season progresses. But thankfully, we have the first Grand Slam of the season underway. So when we return on part two, it's the return of four futures Some zany predictions from Bush and myself. Catch it after the break.
0: Anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW. group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome back to the Open Era Podcast. It's that time again, Bush. You know, we get predictions pretty wrong a lot of the time. And I think one of my favorite things we do is for futures because it absolves us (laughs) from taking responsibility for for some straight up bad picks. And I think it puts an interesting bent on the prediction game, which, as we know in tennis, can be rendered pretty quickly. As you listen to this, someone that we're going to think is going to make a run might be
2: eliminated already, but that's the beauty of this game. So take it away, sir. What are we doing today? Well, we did it at Wimbledon where we predicted four futures from most likely all the way out to absurdity. We're going to do it again. We're bringing it back, but only this time we're bringing it back in Vince McMahon meme format. (laughs) If anyone doesn't know what it is, it starts with Vince McMahon on the top panel looking mildly impressed all the way through to having laser eyes. Full arousal, yeah. Yeah, full arousal in the the final box.
1: Full (laughs) arousal. Yeah, oh, face complete.
2: So... We will go back and forth there, but we will start with most likely. I give you the floor. What is your uh, mild arousal level, most likely scenario? What is your Vince McMahon panel one when it comes to the Australian Open predictions? So, no, Novak, obviously, and he's he can't defend what
1: is a lack of points because he won this tournament, obviously, last year. But my most likely, and, and this will be horribly awkward, I think, Alexander Zverev ends up winning the tournament and then becomes world number one. And lost in Novak Gate, Alexander Zverev is kind of flying under the radar, he's he's not really picking anyone's interest in the sense of what we talked about for mo- most of 2021, and the allegations against him, and the ongoing investigation, which the ATP still hasn't wrapped up, but that's still happening, and if he wins this tournament, this is definitely something that should be addressed and talked about, but... Once again, I question the appetite now that they have lost the Star and Novak and they have to kind of consolidate around some of the other bigger players on the men's tour. There will be one of them, Bush. So I think it'll be awkward, but I think he will win his first slam here.
2: The Star of Novak. That sounds like some form of upcoming version of... Broadway know, some play, Harvey. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll take you straight, straight to off-Broadway. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, so... I'm glad that you went in a more traditional fashion for actually just picking it and not being completely ridiculous for this segment, because it's going to offer some, uh, a, a some good contrast, yeah, <laughs> some, some contrast here. I,
1: I read what you wrote, Simon, and I'm shocked and appalled at your, your zaniness.
2: All right. Um, if I was talking about the following player, she wants to be the very best, like no one ever wants. To catch Grand Slams is her real test. To win them is her cause. She will travel across the draw, bageling far and wide, each opponent succumbing to the power that's in her inside. Ash Barty? Ash him? Come incredible. on, people. Yes, incredible. there you go. Ash Barty is going to win this tournament. It's the most likely scenario. Tough draw, though. Tough, tough section of the draw. If she wins this, she will have earned it. Uh, because we all know still that paper one, number one, she hasn't done anything in the sport yet. Um, so so if she can win this tournament, then maybe we can finally take that moniker off her back.
1: Belinda Bencic is lurking. I just want to a- a- alert you that BB is in that section of the draw. But I also see that as well. I can very much see, I, I, I've I, been on the record, I want to see Ash Party win it at home. I want to see her truly erase some, some small doubts that I, maybe just singular I,
2: still have. Should we go to the men's side? My most likely scenario, and I will give you this through the form of a cooking <laughs> cooking recipe. Oh, Jesus. Why did I ever think this was a good idea? Anyway, ingredients. One stretchy boy. <laughs> steps. Preheat rod labor arena to 36 degrees. <laughs> Prepare the dough by kneading in the early stages. Cut through the drawer. Bake for six rounds. Additional steps. Add salt from fans saying that his victory has an asterisk. That is uh, from Danny Medvedev wins this title. He also becomes world number one in the process.
1: You know what? I can't really eat bread these days, based on my jaw recovery and my <laughs> chewing is quite limited. But I would, I would take a baguette, a Medvedev baguette, and put it in some soup. I would for sure. I think that's very possible. Um, Nick Kyrgios around to you would be a bit, a bit of banter. And I don't think Nick would survive the hours that it would take on court. But Danny Medvedev, with a lot of pressure on him, Simon, he's the better saver too now by some margin. I wonder what that does. No, no, the, the fact that the other side of the draw is actually wide open, or there is no Novak no there, is completely alien to us. Like it's been a long time since
2: it's been this wide open. Give me in the fourth round, Danny Medvedev against Maxime Cressy. I want to see it, Dan. Cressy Hive. Give Cressy it Cressy Hive me. is growing by the second. The Cressy crew shouts to them, we love you. Uh, Maxime Cressy, the um, frosted tips of tennis, if you will. Get in or get out.
1: Get in or get out. Don't be left behind, is what I'm saying with the Cressy crew. Because we we wait, but we don't wait forever. So you have some time to, to figure yourself out.
2: I guess you could technically say, Dev, while we're on this subject, that the section that Medvedev is in... Is the all meme section of the male tennis draw? Um, just given the quantity of people that seem to have a, a very strange following, strange in a good way following, I would say. Diego
1: Schwartzman, uh, Isner, Humbert, Gasquet, Botic. <laughs> my goodness,
2: Botic. No, okay. my son is also named Botic. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So that's most likely, quite likely, Simon. Uh, I'll let you go first because I'm I'm intrigued. You have Rafa listed.
2: How would you describe the second panel in the Vince McMahon meme? The second panel is kind of a little more aroused. Yeah, intrigued. Very
1: intrigued. (laughs) He's like, okay, I like what you're saying now. I like what you're selling. Tell me more.
2: Uh, Okay. So what would not be more fun than seeing Rafa Nadal win 21 at a tournament where the tournament director <laughs> actively did not want him to win this tournament and probably tried everything in his power to prevent this from happening. I want Rafa Nadal to win this. It would be very amusing.
1: The amount of fan fiction that's been created by all three groups of fans, whether it be Novak, Roger, or Rafa, is absolutely stunning. But there is a lot of conspiracies going out there right now. But Rafa basically tearing down the the establishment Stranger Things style with a, a band of characters uh, to win this tournament that no one wanted him to win. If you can craft that narrative and build off of it, all the credit to you. But I, I'm fascinated to see how he does here. Bush like I, I don't know I really don't know what to expect I think we get the classic Rafa downplaying his chances beforehand and being very realistic and I think some of the quotes were really honest about where his level is and being forgiving himself for past <laughs> errors uh, it's not like he's totally shit in Australia either he's had some good tournaments here but I looked at his quarter I looked at his section I look at what it could be maybe Dennis or probably Alexander Zarev in the quarterfinals can you imagine Nadal's Zero court? Could you imagine how lopsided the fan support will be in that match?
2: Just a reminder, at the start of this year, I picked Rafael Nadal to win two Grand Slams in the year and finish as the world number one. I think he might get it done here. I really do. It, it's a tough draw, though, isn't it, man? Like, to get through that, given the, the army of... Uh, counter punches that are currently in there it's going to be very difficult for him to make it through but you never know that's why it is the second panel of the Vince McMahon meme because it's pretty interesting he's got someone as well in his in his section that we'll mention a bit later for
1: reasons why it might be tough for Rafa okay mine is this is uh, you'll be surprised why I picked this side because you know Vince is really intrigued right so I it's like why would you pick this is pretty standard but I'm saying the winner on the women's side will come from the top 15 seats that's my pick but within that group, which features a lot of great players, a lot of players that desperately need to defend points as well. I think Naomi Osaka is defending a lot of points in the live rankings. She's in a bit of trouble, so there's a lot of pressure on her. I think she has been the most common pick of most, and how can you deny her success here? But it says that Angevour will win the Australian Open as the ninth seed. I like what she's done in the tournament lead-up saw her play Petra Kvitova in Sydney, which is a fantastic match, but you kind of got the full-on juper experience. It sounds like she wants to add an ex-pro to her team. I wonder if that's something she'll miss at this tournament, but I'm going to pick Ons to win, Simon.
2: Woof. Woof. We still have two more sections to go. I How know, much more? It gets uh... zanier. It gets zanier, <laughs> man. It gets way zanier. Don't get, don't get it twisted. There's one section of this, of this particular segment that we're doing that I try to keep the most, like, Legitimate. I think Bedosa, Conteve actually going to form, being in the final of this tournament, how often do we get things going to form in the women's side of the draw? But yeah. if you look at it and look at the years that they had at the back end, and especially at the back end of last year of how they played, and how they've opened up this year as well, hard to not pick these two women to go really deep in this tournament. I'd love to see a final between the two of them. But as we all know, it makes the quite likely section, because... It never goes to form in the women's draw, certainly not in the last five years. So if it happens, I think we'll be a bit surprised. Annette Kontovit's also somehow not verified
1: on Twitter. You have like some <laughs> random jabos getting the blue check mark, but Annette Kontovit does not have it? Get it together, Twitter. What does she have to do to get verified? Are you sure
2: that it's Annette Contevey? Are you sure?
1: I ble- It is. I think cause she posted a hilarious message. Very self-deprecating. About one, a picture from her loss where she's looking kind of sad. And she's like, I'm just going to post this every time I lose now. I'm like, yeah. Yes, Queen. Get verified. I love that pick. Paula Badosa also. Excellent form. She won that tournament in Sydney, I believe. Um, hard to hard to bet against that. And I think that would be a phenomenal match too.
2: We are getting further down the meme comic Vince McMahon has his mouth open. He is leaning back in the office chair. This is what I would categorize as pretty damn surprising, Dev. Pretty damn surprising. What do you have in this segment?
1: You might might shout at me. You might hate me for this pick, Simon. Um, (laughs) And I I don't want to put too much pressure on our boy, but Andy Murray will actually make a legitimate run at this tournament. It won't be it won't be a, a small victory huzzah when he beats Bashyusvili for the eightieth time. I don't know how many times these guys played each other, but it's not gonna be one of those turns like oh he beat he beat Bashisvili and got smoked by Taro Daniel. It's not gonna be that. Andy Murray will actually make the quarterfinals of this Grand Slam, where he'll run into a Stefano Sizzi pass and have one of those matches that we talk about for a long time. That's pretty damn bold, sir. One of
2: those matches where he loses in five
1: sets. That, <laughs> no, <is> that... <laughs> but no, in the quarterfinals where anything oh, can okay. happen, and I don't think he's been. Obviously, is not. He's it's been a while since I think I've been confident physically of where Andy's at, and I think the serve is still probably the boogeyman that will end up derailing him. But he will make a run here, sir.
2: My word, Aslan smoked some hell of a returns past him on second serve. It was uh, it was a frightening to watch.
1: For a guy that big, and he's Mm -hmm. like 6'3", where is the juice on this? And I think, Simon, like you look at what players are using now to win these big matches in the later stages. They're bombing these second serves. I'm wondering why he's not employing that a bit more.
2: It's a really good question. There is something to be – there is an episode in its own right to break down the Murray return, not the Murray – there's two sides of it. There's an episode to break down the Murray return. <laughs> Raises eyebrows. And the Murray return. Yeah. There's the truth. And then there's and the, the truth. truth. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Good pick. Uh, I will go next. Going to take my car. Going to sit in it. Going to drive alone till I get you because I'm crazy hot and ready, but you'll like it. I want to race for you. Should we go now? Gas, gas, gas. I'm going to step on the gas. <laughs> Do you know which player I'm talking about? I think yeah. it's Madison Keys. It is, is it Madison, Madison Keys. Keys.
1: <laughs> I'm glad I got that, but also felt quite uncomfortable as he read those those sexy
2: lyrics. <laughs> it would be a good place to put in that song, actually, so everyone knows what I'm talking about, and I'm not <laughs> a lunatic. Um, yes. Anyway, Madison Keys, who the surface does suit her, Dev, mm-hmm. someone who can put it together the latter stages of this tournament, hits the ball harder than just about anyone in tennis, men and women, I think that's legitimately true, has had just an excellent week winning a tournament. My goodness, what a return it would be. I think it's not that ridiculous. I think it makes it into the third segment here because it's not that ridiculous, right? Really? I mean, it's not, I, I could see it happening. I can see an American winning this tournament. I think that's
1: my call as well. And I look at Madison Keys, Kennen first, which is in a very interesting match. Sophia Kennan also defending a shitload of points. Madison Keys talked about her struggles last year. She went down the rankings hard. I think she, she was quoted saying like, she ended up looking at that number beside her name as, and taking it way too much to heart and letting it kind of define who she is as a person, which I think is something that we've seen uh, a couple of tennis players deal with. And it's really understandable because so much of this sport is based on that number beside your name. Um, She seems like she's found a better place and she's got a victory behind it. She's beaten some good players too recently, Bush. I could see it for sure. I think once, once you look at the Canon first rounder, but keys in the fourth round could be electric.
2: Yeah. They really could. And I think that's that's the exciting part to me is that I don't think anyone doubts how well she's played in the last few weeks, but it's just the draw is really tough and there's so many good players like putting it together round after round after round, which has been her Achilles in a lot of ways. It's what makes this one a surprising pick, but it's not that ridiculous if you sort of find the accumulation of, of everything that we, we're talking about. I tried really, really hard, Dev, just to close out this segment to find something to do with calves. Um, which I think most people can realize this direction we're going in. And I discovered that on the internet there is a poetry writing element to the uh, female fitness uh, subgenre. Um, so I will quote a poem by a Megan Artis called An Ode to My Legs. This is an adaption of it. Thank you for my legs in accomplishing all the things that I love, like forehands, like backhands, and serving and volleying and smashing. Thank you for the legs. Aslan Karata was winning this tournament. Come on. Loves the surface. Come on.
1: I love it. Andy Murray shouting out his calves as well. I think he's getting international acclaim for these these specimens. Uh, Would love to see it.
2: I feel like we've done this correctly, right? Which is that we've given more time to the likely aspect of this tournament and get more and more ridiculous as we go further on. So let's wrap up the final segment, which is the laser eyes version of Vince McMahon, the final panel (laughs) that no way, no way. They're going to write a book book about this. Well, they'll make a TV series about this one. So what is your most ridiculous prediction that has a 1% chance of coming true? So... Emma Raducanu obviously in the news winning the U.S. Open, ho hum,
1: no big deal. But her exploits since that triumph have been very much under the, the magnifying glass. I think some people concerned with her results um, since that triumph. But I have Emma Raducanu and Leylah Andy Fernandez repeating their U.S. Open final in the semi-final at the Australian Open. I think Leila Fernandez might be a slightly safer pick, but to suggest that both players could make the semis again at a slam is quite preposterous, right? That's what the critics would say, but I am fully in on this, Simon. I think once you catch lightning in a bottle at a slam, all bets are off. Raju Kanu starts with Sloan Stevens, so again, by the time you listen to this, I could be embarrassed out of my own podcast, but give me LAF versus Emma round two, but no medical timeout this time let's play for keeps.
2: I mean, I'm pretty sure they played for keeps the first time around, but I understand the point you're making.
1: I love how you try to denigrate my points by (laughs) insulting me, but I I would like to remind the people of that medical timeout.
2: Uh, Imagine just for a second, us thinking that this was one of the most weird predictions, like far out predictions that Emirati Reddy and later Anna Fernandez would meet in the semifinals or Grand Slam. If you told us that the day after the US Open final, you're like, 100%, you it's know it, baby. Happening. <laughs> yeah. and now we're like, yeah, I mean, this its pretty salient, sure, it's pretty out there. Sure. Yeah, what's your men's prediction? I mean,
1: it's the million dollar question. Uh, ATP Cup aside, we're all. Looking at what Felix Ajay-Aliassin will do this season. Can he get a title? A 250? Maybe win in Hala, Maybe get something in Rotterdam. Or you go big. Go big at a Masters. Like he be her catch and win your first there. No, 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 no. FAA's first singles win? His first title? Simon? Will be at the Australian Open. At Raleigh for Arena in the final Grand Slam winner, Felix Ajay-Aliassime. It'll take a monstrous effort against Danny Medvedev in the quarterfinals, but I've foreseen it. So get it ready. FAA winner, Australian Open.
2: Love it. Love it, love it, love it. I would love to see it. And in this scenario, you also have Leila Rani fernandez obviously winning that semifinal and going <laughs> right. to win right. the tournament. So we're getting double Canadians winning <laughs> in the Australian Open, which I'm fine with. I'm totally good with. So those are totally normal predictions, right?
1: In the no way category, Simon. I'm curious to hear what you'll say.
2: Right. So I uh, also went in a completely ludicrous direction. So I'm glad that at least you grounded us uh, wow. a slight element. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, this is going to be a joke that's going to go way over some people's head, and the people that are going to get it are going to really enjoy this one. Seems like the majority of my humor on this podcast. Anyway, here we go. Hello, everyone. My name is Matthew Mercer. Welcome to the first episode of Campaign Three of Critical Role Open Era Edition, where a bunch of nerdy tennis players sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons. Come on, no one gets that? Do you get that? Do you know what that is? Uh, I don't.
1: I don't <laughs> play, I appreciated how into it you were. So I wanna I wanna support you, but I don't fully know what that was. It sounds like Dungeons and Dragons uh, role-playing.
2: It is, yeah, and I came out of this thinking, what could be the most ridiculous version of a D&D game involving tennis players? And I thought maybe there's a possibility that Novak Djokovic changes his name to Spartacus, <laughs> tries to get through the border, kicks out the lucky loser who takes his position in round one, and then wins the tournament. Not Caruso. <laughs> Not Salvatore Caruso. Uh, wow. Okay. I love it. I'm here for it also. Yeah. Alas, no, that's not going to happen. And you know what else is not going to happen? Because I put it in the no way category. Belinda Bencic winning this tournament. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> you bastard. You didn't have to go there. I need I need Barty versus Bencic now.
1: I need this. I need to settle this feud one way or another. Barty versus Osaka. No, I. that draw is a minefield, man. That's That section Bush Osaka-Barty in the fourth round?
2: Pfft. I had to close out this segment by offering, you know, but the in that, so just a, a light bit of ribbing. I hope you enjoyed it. Love it.
1: Okay, well there it is, the return of four futures. Will some of these come true? I bet you. I bet you <laughs> a couple of them do. I bet you We said enough shit here that we've covered. En- we've thrown enough at the wall that it's probably possible that something comes true here. But we will find out when we come back to wrap up. As always, it's our parting
0: shots. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome back to the Open Era Podcast. It's time again for parting shots as we close another episode. Simon, a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, I'll let you pick it off.
2: Well, actually, tennis happened, right? Real tennis wow. TM, as Dev says. It did actually happen <laughs> during the course of this week. And how could we not lead the show? It must have been pretty damn big news if we didn't lead an episode with Aslan Karatsev against Andy Murray in a final of an event in 2022. The all meme team in the final. It was incredible to watch. Actually, a great tournament for both players for differing reasons. To see Murray get back to that stage is obviously incredible. And just given the years that he's had to get back, it was a huge moment. For Karatsev, new threads, new gear, looked great on court. Um, had the support of tennis Twitter, obviously, and he played really, really bloody yeah. well. He looked really, really good. If you like watching someone pummel the ball
1: and hit a heavy ball, boy oh boy, Aslan Karatsev is your cup of tea. Did we call hydrogen? I think we called hydrogen in the end, I right? Maybe that was I a possibility.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're
1: right. to to Pog who's been chronicling the move and the will hear won't he saga. But I think in the end, Hydrogen is doing some interesting stuff. It's no longer um, a, a metallic skull and a black shirt. They're they're trying some some cool shit. So love that. It was a tough tough final for rooting interests. I mean, you have Andy Murray back in a final after almost five years. I believe 2017 was the last time he was in finals. So it's been a while. And uh, against a guy who found his his form in Australia and kind of surface on the tennis map in Aslan Karatsev? That serve, though, Bush, once again, a bit concerned, even though I just said Andy might make a run of this tournament in Australia. Ugh.
2: Aslan's such an interesting player to watch, isn't he? And I agree with you, by the way, that second serve of Murray is a real concern. He needs to go for it. He really does. But just touching on Karatsev for a second, no one really plays like him. And there's, hes a really problematic matchup for a lot of players. Just how close he stands to the baseline, how hard he hits it, and just how early he takes it on both wings. He's such a clean ball striker. And you remember last year when he made the run that we were we were comparing him to Andre Agassi, and I think a lot of people thought that it's you know a bit hyperbolic. It's a bit all over the place as a as a comparison. I don't think it is. I think he just looks like him. The way that he moves around, the style of game that he has, ability to just pummel it when he wants to. It's gonna be a really difficult out for any player playing against him on that surface. A quick hardcore that he can take the ball early and just end points quickly in the hot weather. I don't know, man. Like there's a reason that he made the semi-final last year. It wasn't luck. It was a player who was suited to the surface, played exceptionally well, believed in himself and didn't have all the you know nonsense in the head about whether or not he could do it. He just went out there and played every round as it on its merit, it wouldn't shock me if he carries this form through and has a really good week in Australia. 100%. Uh,
1: The other men's winner, a wonderful story as well, Danasi Kokonakis, one of the Australians who were primed for really big things, who was dealt an awful hand in terms of injuries, uh, all really long road back, playing at home in Adelaide, winning the tournament, playing a phenomenal semi against Marin Cilic, an amazing third set tiebreaker, great atmosphere. In their crowd as well, and then beating Rinder Ketch in three sets. Bush. I love the message he posted uh, Roger Federer reaching out to him to congratulate him after that win. Uh, they go way back, right? I think in Indian Wells a long time ago, Right. they were palling around and he's practiced with Roger a few times, but talking about a guy who was on the tip of everyone's tongue and the hot guy, the wearing the cool earring, bringing the George Michael look back. Everyone wanted to talk about him, but then injury struck, and we kind of forgot. But he made us remember again with a fantastic
2: run, and I hope to see more of it in Melbourne. So, a bunch of stuff came up when talking about the aforementioned uh, Koganakis. Firstly, is it a dove tattoo that he has on the hand <laughs> in in compare with with the earring as well? It's a look. It is bold, and you he's know, pulling what? it off, man. He's Go got he's it. got Chim- he's got Jimmy G. Good looks. He's, he does. He's yeah. a good looking cat. Yes. The other thing that I noticed from this one obviously, it's really cool to have Roger Federer reach out to you. Just the idea that Roger Federer reached out to someone in their DMs is very amusing to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can still wake up one day <laughs> and find Roger Federer in your DMs. You're like, wait a minute, what? Roger, what? About everything else, though, the thing that shocked me about this, his nickname is Thanza. That's a that- great nickname, fantastic. Very good. I think Novak reached out as well
1: in the interest of, of fair time, which I know you love, Simon. <laughs> it's, it's, Novak us not did bring this into as it. Paola well. <laughs> yeah. uh, Badosa, Madison Keys, Bush, we mentioned them uh, just prior, but also the winners heading into Melbourne. Paola and Krejcikova had a hell of a match in that final.
2: Well, like both finals that you're talking about, like Madison Keys against Coco Goff as well, and Paola Badosa against Krejcikova is is. What more can you ask for, right? Like players they are in form, hitting the ball well, like the surface suits all four of them really, really strongly. It was just a good week of tennis. It was really, really good. Lost, I think it's, it's unfortunate, right? Because it got overshadowed by the absolute nonsense that was going on off the court. But all four finals were really good. So they were fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely buried
1: by the avalanche of shit news, but absolutely <laughs> great tennis, Uh I, I was I was kind of uh, reminiscing Bush of living on the West Coast. It is, I think that time zone is the best for this. We're talking with Luke on the Discord about the Central European time zone being mint for the, the Australian swing. But the West Coast, you really haven't made. Tennis is starting at like 4 p.m. The latest stuff is ending at like midnight or starting at midnight, so it's manageable. It's really the best of, of all worlds.
2: It really is. And just to put into context how good – the last 10 months has been for Paolo Bedosa. She was 0-5 against top 20 players. Since that point, she is 13 of 18. Like, that is quite a significant improvement in how she's playing against top-level players. So, as we said in the second segment, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that form carries on here because she is in form really, really strongly. Uh, That was the tennis from this week. Anything else,
1: Bush, before we move on? Nope, because... We have a very sad story to get to. Very sad. I wanted to confirm this is for sure real or not and I think it is or I think that the sourcing is as legitimate as you can ask for but it emerged this week that Juan Martin Del Potro's finances are a bit in shambles and apparently his his father who recently passed away um, misappropriated a bunch of funds a lot of Juan Martin's money that he made throughout his career. Uh, It sounds like he has a bit left, but clearly not what he thought. And I think once his father passed a, a load of creditors basically came after him and kind of alerted him to what happened. But again, you lose, you're losing a parent, which I think is difficult enough, but then to have this kind of right after it's really sad. So I, I think when we mentioned Juan Martin Del Potro in recent times, at least it usually has a tinge of sadness about his injuries or whether or not he'll come back. And this is another layer to that. Um, Hope he find some peace here because it sounds like an awful situation, Bush.
2: I don't really have anything to add to that, honestly. Like it's such a yeah. sad story against the backdrop of a player who struggled so much with injuries and by all accounts, a really good person as well. Like someone who the tour speaks very highly of and seems to be a nice, gentle, good human being. So it's just a really, really shitty, sad story, which, you know, sad that it happened. Um.
1: Other big news this week, and it was kind of inadvertently dropped when they said it was. uh, We were notified that camera crews had already been following Novak Djokovic around, Uh, and we're like, "What? Why? What's going on?" But it looks like the powers that be and the big slams and the tours have hired the people that produced the Drive to Survive Formula One show that became an epic success, in the hopes of replicating that for tennis. Simon, I think a lot of people are excited about this. I think fuck, we're gonna get some wild stuff from the first two weeks alone, if if this has been any indication. But I'm curious about what your expectations are for this show. Because I think for F1, I can speak, I was a lapsed fan. I was very much a fan, I think, when Jacques Villeneuve was driving and when I was younger. But I had stopped really paying that close of attention. And I think the show helped me get back into it for sure. Um, That's not the case for tennis. I think I've been locked in for a long time. So I wonder for people like us what are we going to get?
2: Well, I think it's an interesting question of who Drive to Survive is actually for. I saw Matt Willis talking about this all week, saying that you know, bringing a younger audience, and a more diverse crowd. I think some of that is legitimately true. The people that I've spoken to that love Drive to Survive have been people that I would not have expected to get into F1. I'm talking older. I'm talking a little richer by standards. And I think that's... Kind of the same group of people that are going to get dragged into this as well. People who have time to sit around and watch a show about personalities playing sport. Because I'm continually amazed by the kind of people that enjoy Drive to Survive. It just shocks me when right. you're just in a random conversation with someone. Do you mean like non-sports fans? <laughs> I do mean that. Yes,
1: because that is that is what <laughs> this is. The big, this is the big shot, right? They want to, and they want. I think people who spend money to be interested as well mm-hmm. so it is that that uh, 30 to 50 set who is on Twitter a lot I think and I wonder perhaps if this is not the right way to capture the youth I think they're doing it because there's some pressure obviously from external forces but they kind of have to the access has been so bad before that this is like base level stuff. They're, they're only reaching the minimum, I think, of what they have to do in
2: terms of growing the game. Well, if we're going to get in on the ground level of this, aren't we, that someone is going to produce a podcast which goes week by week analyzing what happens in this version of Drive to Survive. Um, so ma- maybe, yeah. just maybe, yeah. it'll be on a Twitch stream. <laughs> maybe. It could be fun. Stay tuned. Okay, um, I, I put this in here, Bush. Barty Fish, uh,
1: we know Marty Fish from his playing days, and then the the Netflix stock that came out, which I thought was really good, of mental health. Marty Fish also on Twitter a bit, which is always a dangerous game, but I think he was having some fun with the Novak situation and tweeting some jokes out to some diehard Novak supporters who did not take it well and basically called his honor into account. And Marty had to backpedal a bit and and kind of put out a tweet saying how it's it's terrible what how Novak is being treated, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought I, I found it interesting. It was a microcosm of how keeping it real can go wrong or keeping it funny on Twitter or jokey during this situation go horribly wrong. Marty making a joke, an innocuous joke to a Novak superfan becoming an incident where people are threatening him and calling him all sorts of names. It's just like, okay, here we are. Great, great job, everyone.
2: Well, that, that came against the backdrop as well of seeing Ben Rothenberg's DMs, which he, he put out a, a tweet earlier today, which illustrated... Some of the horrible things that have been said to him over the past week from uh what we can only call is you know deranged Novak fans, yeah, like just complete and utter off their rockers like it's it's really, really bad. people who were apparently standing outside in uh, in
1: Car- Carolina, India, trying to watch Novak's flight pass overhead using <laughs> the flight tracker. this is the kind of stuff it's it's awful, absolutely awful.
2: I think on the Marty thing, just for, for a brief second, you do have a responsibility as a Davis Cup captain, right, to not get involved as being a statesperson. And I know that sounds nonsensical to a lot of people who followed this show, that I would take that on <laughs> It's like, on it, what? <laughs> the honor I, of the Davis Cup captain? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But when you represent your country, right, and you're put in a position of authority and your voice actually does carry some weight. Like, just don't fuck around with these people. It's just not worth it, right? No, like, there's it, better ways to yeah. go around.
1: Uh, on a positive note, Popcorn Tennis, a site we've mentioned a lot. Our friends are doing some great stuff over there. But um, Damien Koost put out his his like qualifier preview. I th- qualifier preview. I think in terms of players outside the top 100, there's no better follow. Then Damien on Twitter, I find uh, the amount of work he puts into it absolutely awesome, and I learn a lot uh, reading his stuff, and reading his stuff helps me watch certain things because I I look out for certain players thanks to his updates. Uh, There's a lot of players, a lot of tennis players in this world beyond the top one or top three or top ten or top 30, and I admire Damien's passion for covering it all, so I would highly recommend checking out his piece of popcorn tennis, um, where he's previewing how the qualifiers might do in this tournament and also just follow him on Twitter. It's uh, it's worth it.
2: Agreed entirely. They've had a really good start to that website and you would do yourself a favor and either subscribe to the Twitter channel. So you're updated about when new articles come out or just read the site. It's good stuff. It really is. All right. Take us home, Bush. Well, we started with quotes. So I'll, I'll bookend this with a quote as well, but Andy Murray turned down north a million dollars to play exhibition games in Saudi Arabia. Why doesn't want to be part of the kingdom's reputation of cleansing <laughs> efforts? which geez. That is a very cute way to say something very horrendous. Kudos, Andy. Kudos indeed. Uh, another sign that he feels like a really good human being and just actually someone who has a bit of a spine and a, a solid reputation within the sport and I guess to round out this section, we had the five highest paid female athletes list that came out for 2021, topped by Naomi Osaka, Serena and Venus Williams coming up after that, Simone Biles coming fourth and Garbine Muguruza in fifth. Serena Williams made some what headlines on the basis that her on-court earnings were less than a million dollars, but her off court earnings were almost $50 million, which <laughs> catapulted her up the list to second. Pretty, pretty funny, but also... Taking into consideration how poor a lot of, the, representat- a lot of the, the prize money distribution has been, even in a sport like tennis, which I think is, does yeah. a, a pretty solid job across the board, it does go to show you that the majority of these earnings that are made by top-level female athletes still come from some endorsement deals, which, fine, sure, but I think we can do a better job in paying some of these incredible athletes.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's not a good look um, when the actual sport um, that they play is not the main source, even though... get that money, get the bag, do what you got to do. There should be some balance there. Um, And Serena's note, live rankings, I think she's down to 244 in the world, the live rankings, which is not something you see every day. I definitely had a a double take when I saw that, when they updated. There's a lot of players, Bush, who have have lost a lot of points. It would be fascinating to see um, if or how they can recover them.
2: Yeah, I saw Rad Ransker on that list as well, Maria Teague. So like these players that had been, you know, certainly top fifty players hovering around the two fifty mark, it goes to show you just how and through circumstance, of course, these players find themselves lower down the rankings, but there's a hell of a lot of talent in professional tennis at the moment, specifically on the women's side. We talk about it at length, but it, it bears repeating. The depth of the game is astonishing. And we go into the first Grand Slam of the year being incredibly excited of not knowing who's going to win. And I think that's just a great situation for the sport. 100%. I wanted
1: to shout out our, our Discord cats. Um, we asked for some predictions. Going to list them quickly. JD, Hart, Cressy. <laughs> okay, that, this JD behind Cressy Crew. <laughs> the Cressy Crew genius. But he's going head FAA, which I love that. Hart, Jibour, you know, I'm on board. Head Osaka, uh, Easy Ace Machine, Hart Muguruza for the three-fourths Career Slam. That would be awesome. Head Ash Barty on you your track, Bush Hart Alexander Bublik, which is a fa- fascinating <laughs> pick, and Head Mehdi. Great pick, Simon. Can't see much wrong with either. I FAA man, the world is your oyster.
2: I'm on the crossy train. How far you will make it? Is anyone's guess, but he's going to win a lot of fans, isn't he, through the first couple of days at the Australian Open? Not just for the game, but he's a good-looking boy as well, and someone I think um, I've mm-hmm. I have seen tennis Twitter, which is an incredibly thirsty, horny place. <laughs> like this <there's> is a... <laughs> one of the one of the horniest places in sports <laughs> Twitter. But yeah,
1: shall we end with this Naomi quote, which is just amazing?
2: <laughs> yeah, it is good, isn't it? I guess we started with quotes. Let's end with quotes naomi osaka respectfully i don't have anything to prove before my first Grand slam i was told i had potential but probably not going to capitalize on it after my first slam i was told i got lucky and i was a one-hit wonder after my second slam i was told that i could be great but unsure after my third and fourth slams i was told i would only be good on hard courts moral of the story people are always going to have something to say and i don't give a fuck anymore which yeah fairly reasonable that sounds I mean, that sounds like a powerful per- that sounds like someone who is in a good place who could, does. could just go on and win a tournament doesn't it Simon? I think the fact that even in our predictions segment we did not say the name Naomi Osaka speaks volumes to idiocy <laughs> our own idiocy is one of them <laughs> if she plays anywhere near her potential she should be the favorite to win this tournament she just should right like it's there's no two ways about it yeah I
1: don't know if I'm reading too much into that that abdominals thing that she pulled out of a tournament earlier this month for, and I don't. I am a ten percent concerned, but hundred percent confident that mentally she's in a good spot. Uh, this fu attitude, not it's not even that. I think it's just she's on her own terms now. She's playing on her own terms, and I think that's all you can ask
2: for. So do I. I'm excited to see what she does. She's lifting that trophy at the end of the next two weeks when we're talking to you does not shock me at all. And I think it's a really good position for the sport to be in. It's just cool in general, right? When you have someone getting to five, six, seven slams, it's like, ooh, that's that's starting to get historic, isn't it? You're starting to get into some really upper echelons of the game because we haven't seen it in a while when someone's just, you know, accumulating. We've been so used to the one slam or two slams, right? And then when you start to get a little higher in that, you're starting to get those uh, excited feelings again that you're watching history. Well said,
1: sir. All right. Time for
2: two challenges remaining. There is time for two challenges remaining. I will go first because I have absolutely no idea what yours is. Um, And I'm curious to find out. I went to go and see The Matrix Resurrections in the cinema. I went into the cinema as well, which is a difficult and strange experience. Jesus, can you even do that? We can't even do that in Ontario, sir. Uh, yeah, potentially things to be said about that. In all fairness, <laughs> the, there was basically no one in the cinema when I was there. There was about four people in the whole thing, which again may speak to the fact that the, the movie is not particularly strong or did not have the pull that it previously did. Uh, but I would go and see it. It was fine. I was, I was left feeling much better about it than i thought i was going to feel coming out of it because when you're going into a reboot or the fourth in a series it's very very difficult and we have not seen a good a good fourth in a while this is not a good fourth but it's more than adequate and i think it it sparked some interesting discussion online about the message of it and where What has changed in society since the first Matrix was released 20 years ago? 20 years ago? More than that, 23 years ago? 1999? 1999. Yeah, yeah, 1999. So over 20 years ago. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Anne Moss look absolutely incredible for their age. Like just really, really, (laughs) really good for their age. And it doesn't come with a strong recommendation, but it also is the kind of film that it's a really good discussion starter about what things have changed in society since ninety nine? So I would recommend it on that capacity.
1: I've heard so many wildly different takes on this movie that I need to well, I need to watch it.
2: I, I don't think I was a
1: super fan, but I was totally down with The Matrix when it came out. And I watched the sequels or the, up to the third one. So I was very curious to see what this would be like. And I've heard such completely all over the place reviews that I need to see it for myself. But I will watch it, sir.
2: Good stuff. What is your final challenge for the week
1: uh i started reading a book Uh, i was gifted to me over the holidays Shouts to john t for the the lovely gift but it's called beyond a boundary uh by clr james trinidadian marxist and intellectual uh it's a memoir on cricket and its role in both english life and west indies life and i'm just starting it but it's it's something that i is so hilariously up my alley that i i truly love it um it's a bit of a history as well of of colonialism and, and the role that Cricket has played. But I'm very early stages into the book, but um, I can tell it's going to be one of those that I have a hard time putting down. And I, it's, I didn't really read that much during my, my job recovery because I was just glued to screens and watching anything. But uh, it feels good to to read again. And I am excited to finish this.
2: A Trinidadian Marxist talking about the history of colonialism through the vehicle of cricket. That sounds right up my alley as well. I could be uh, convinced to read that. I was going to say, I will give this to you, sir. This is If there is a book for Simon Bushel, this is it. That sounds fantastic. Good stuff. Good show. There are lots of stuff to happen this week. And I guess to round this all out, Dev, let's go and watch some tennis. Like, I'm super let's, stoked yeah. to get into the Australian Open. Like, there's an hour to go until we start watching it here on the West Coast. And I'm really genuinely excited. I really am for the first slam of the year. It's called the Happy Slam. I think I think I can say safely, Dev, that it's both of our favorite slams to watch as yeah. spectators. And I'm really, genuinely, really stoked to watch it. I, I mentioned how grimy this has felt and how not
1: good it's felt. But I think there has been it also a weight being lifted in the sense that we can just get to the stuff on court and watch the sport that we love and watch it at all hours of the day. If you're in North America, which I think is one of my favorite parts as well. So we hope you enjoy it. We hope you enjoy, uh, following us on Twitter as well during the tournament, at OpenEraPod. We'll be tweeting a lot and and sharing just wonderful memes as we do. Um, We're on Patreon.com as well, forward slash OpenEra. Join us there. Get the show early on Sundays. Get it ad-free. And I think the best part of all, join us on the Discord. It's a great community, a great place where we're talking tennis all the time and and growing, which is super cool. And we're thankful for that. Uh, For producer Greg on the ones and twos, many thanks to him. And for Simon, thank you as always for listening to Open Era. We'll talk to you next week.